0: Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you are about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller.
1: Welcome to Habits for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits you can employ in your daily life to make you happier. Here on Habits for Happiness today to talk about the habit of breathing is author and journalist James Nestor. Welcome, James.
2: Thanks a lot for having me.
1: So I'm just going to sort of read an edited bio because you've done a lot. So (laughs) (laughs) James has written for Scientific American, Outside, The New York Times, The Atlantic, National Public Radio, The San Francisco Chronicle, and more. His latest book, Breath, The New Science of the Lost Art, released in May of 2020, and I was you know, laughing as I was putting this together, which gave everyone enough breathing room to read it since it was right after lockdown. And, of course, it was an instant New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller, and London Sunday Times bestseller. It spent 18 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Breath was awarded the Best General Nonfiction Book of 2020 by the American Society of Journalists and Authors and was nominated for Best Science Book of 2021 by the Royal Society. James has also written many other works, including Deep, Free Diving, Renegade Science, and What the Ocean Tells Us About Ourselves, and from, what, from research I have done, James has had many fun and epic adventures with Outside Magazine and beyond, and I will let him tell us about those <laughs> in his own time. So first, James, tell us, what are you working on now?
2: Working on sleeping, uh, relaxing a little <laughs> bit. Uh, those are my main prerogatives right now. You know, I have a, a number of different projects that are just sort of in the gestation phase, which of course is the most wonderful phase of this, where you can just dream big before the reality hammer comes down and squashes everything. So, oh, I love that. Yep.
1: So you know, for, for listeners, tell us why you chose to write about breathing. I mean, why write a book about breathing? seems like a topic that might not be able to take up you know, 250 pages or what?
2: Well, that's a question I had for years and years. <laughs> and it's a question that my editor had and my agent had and all my friends had. Uh, they thought that this was the stupidest sounding book they'd ever heard of. Uh, that was a direct quote from, from one friend who's a journalist at the AP <laughs> And I believed them for a number of years until I started digging more deeply into the subject. I started having some experiences with it. I started talking to experts in the field. I started seeing reams and reams of data and understanding that even though something is so seemingly simple, our breathing is one of the most complex and influential things on our health happiness and lifespan, I would argue more so than what we eat, how much we exercise. And so once you understand this bigger picture of this seemingly simple thing, you realize there could be a larger story to be told, but it took years of convincing all those parties I just mentioned, including myself to actually sit down and begin writing this.
1: Yeah. And you showed them, I mean, 18 weeks from the bestseller list. <laughs> That's amazing. So I guess, you know, just one of my curiosity questions are, do you do breathing practices and what kind do you do?
2: Yeah, I do. But I really try to keep that out of this book. As a science journalist, my job is to honestly and objectively report on what I'm finding, what experts are mm-hmm. finding, where the data is what people are telling me. And that's what I tried to do in this book. I did not want to write a memoir because what worked for me very likely won't work for you. But what's most important is to understand the general principles of how breathing affects your brain, how it affects stress, how it affects asthma, how it can trigger adult onset diabetes. I mean, all of this crazy stuff. Once you understand that, you can... Learn new ways of controlling your breathing to help heal your body. And that's what the science has very clearly shown us.
1: Yeah, it's amazing with this. You know, as I talk about many of these habits, including breathing, it's free, right? Mm -hmm. We all have access to air. And so, really, you know, we know what the what is. And I think what's so breathtaking in the book is the how. You know, you talk a lot about. Um, nostril breathing versus mouth breathing. So, if you could just tell the audience just briefly, I mean, it it we could go we could talk about that the whole time, but why breathing through your nose is more important than breathing through your mouth?
2: Yeah, a lot of people think that there's some magical formula. They said, "Let you know, let me in on your secret. What did you find? <laughs> I wanna I wanna use that breathing you you discovered in the Himalayas. You know that that was first discovered in the 1800s." But the the secret is, here's the secret, everybody, listen closely. It is that we as a species are so divorced from the environment in which we evolved. We are so divorced from nature. And the further we've moved away from nature, the sicker we've gotten. It's mm-hmm. no coincidence that the vast majority of diseases we're contending with are diseases of our own making. Mm-hmm. And so, When you're looking for guidance on breathing, you don't have to get out a calculator and start looking at all these numbers and do flow charts. What you do is you have to look to nature. This is not a new age conceit. This is biological science. Look at how animals in the wild breathe. Look at how a healthy infant breathes. Look at how someone who's not living in an industrial culture, look at how they're breathing, look at their lung size, and they all breathe the same way. (laughs) And when you start to see those patterns, you start to see how far off we've roamed from the way that our body should be performing and should be working. So to answer, that's a very long explanation to a very short question you have. But the first thing to do is to breathe through your nose. And I know that seems so simple. Vast majority of us don't do it. And every other animal in the wild, every other mammal is an obligate nasal breather.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, this, it, I'm a trained yoga teacher for listeners that may not know. And so, you know, I have always been told when I started doing yoga in San Francisco um, many years ago, my teacher once told me that that he could tell the quality of student, not by um, the postures that they could hold, but the quality of their breath and their ability to breathe through their nose. So, and not through their mouth. And so it leads me to believe that, it, that you know, this idea of breathing only through your nose is something that's been preached to us. And you talk about this in the book for centuries, millennia, what have you, and, and we've lost the ability to hear it. Is that correct? And tell us more.
2: Well, yeah, we've I mean, we've lost these habits, not consciously. We didn't set out to do this, but because of the environments in which we're forced to live now and because of the clothes that we're wearing that are so tight, it's hard to take a deep, fluid breath because we're sitting up. In chairs all day long in Mm -hmm. front of computers, it's hard to breathe healthy in that way because the atmosphere is filled with pollution. It makes it hard to breathe. It's filled with pollen, and so for all of these, I know this sounds incredibly depressing. That the book really isn't though. (laughs) The book Uh, isn't.
1: The book isn't. I loved the book.
2: You you have to understand why are you sick? What's the real reason? For the problem that you're having, if you want a long-term durable solution to health, you have to figure out the cause. And so that's what evolution helps by looking at evolution and looking at anthropology. You're able to see where things went wrong to put a little pin in that and to figure out what our ancestors did so right and to model your habits after those habits, which are the correct habits. Because... You know they evolved over two million years, yeah,
1: you said in the book, um, something that I thought was so poignant um we were talking you were talking in the book or or you discussed this habit of eating. We were eating um, more refined foods, and therefore we were chewing less than those people in the wild. So we shouldn't eat the recipes of our grandmothers. We should be eating the recipes of our like great times seven <laughs> to a factor of seven grandmothers what they were eating. And it brings up this amazing sort of visual for me of, you know, for those people who've ever watched sort of a, a Nat Geo show or, you know, so in the wild, you know, if you look at, um, if you look at elephants, right? Or, or many different animals in the wild, they chew for something like 20, sort of like 20 hours a day or something. They spent chewing grass. So you had talked about in the book that are, because we're not chewing so regularly that our teeth have also gotten messed up. And that people many centuries ago had straighter teeth, which I thought was completely amazing.
2: Not only did our ancestors have straighter teeth, they had perfectly straight teeth. They never needed to get their wisdom teeth removed. Think about how bizarre that is, that it is just the standard now that when you get to be a certain age, you just get your wisdom teeth removed. Like, Oh, of course you have to get those out the hell is going on here? (laughs) None of our ancestors needed to do this. Obviously no other animal needs to get their wisdom teeth removed. They don't need extractions or braces or headgear to have straight teeth. So this sounds impossible to believe. It certainly sounded that way to me when I first heard about it, but when I visited some experts in the field at university of Pennsylvania, but then all you have to do is look. Just look at ancient skulls and look at their teeth and then look in the mirror and look around and you'll find that 90% of us have some sort of crookedness in our teeth. We didn't have those problems. And you can see this change in a single generation when societies took on industrial food. Hmm. I wonder what's causing our crooked teeth. <laughs> well, I have some news for you. It's, it's not genetic. As the NIH says, it is caused by this sudden change of our diet. And the main culprit, it's not entirely tied to chewing, but that is the main driver, is a lack of chewing stress.
1: Wow. And so what were we chewing?
2: Well, we went from chewing two, three, four hours a day, chewing tough food, chewing mm-hmm. unprocessed food, eating raw stuff, chewing meat. And we went from that to milling flour to taking the bran and germ off of rice. So you have this starchy, polished white rice left, this germ left. Uh, we went to bottling things. We went to baking a bunch of things, you know, mm-hmm. 500 years ago, not, not a lot of baking going on uh, <laughs> 10,000 years ago, yeah. zero baking going on. Yeah, And all the food, not only did it become nutritionally deficient, which is why all these people started getting rickets and scurvy and beriberi and all these other issues that they didn't have before, is it became extremely soft. And in early stages of development, you need that masticatory stress to build the proper musculature and to build the proper skeletal in your face. This is not a theory. This is a fact. And the first time I heard about it was when I started studying for this book. And I said, why hadn't I known about this, you know, when I was growing up?
1: That's why I'm pulling it out of the book. I think it's just so amazing for listeners to know about, right? Because it, it sort of speaks to this larger issue of our our sort of de-evolution as people, right? From these more perfect people that we were before. And as we advance, you know, industrially or or otherwise, and become, we've taken ourselves completely completely out of the food chain. And we've lost our ability to do some basic things that do bring us joy, happiness, but also, you know, health. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so there's another piece that while we're staying in the ancient times, and you know, you had said in the book that that snoring was something that is more of a modern day problem than it used to be because of our mouth breathing. So my children wanted me to ask, did the caveman snore? <laughs>
2: Well, if only we could use my time machine, which is which is only <laughs> half built right now, we should have had this interview. It's in
1: still the good question. A year though. from
2: now, uh, <laughs> in my time machine, we're going to go back in time, and we're going to conduct randomized controlled trials of of cavemen and their snoring. <laughs> what we can do in the meantime, before I get all the dials set up on that on that new machine <laughs> here in my garage is we can look at skulls and we can understand how the facial form is created. So about half of how you look is determined by your genes. So genes play a huge role in this. The other half is determined by epigenetics, Mm -hmm. by environmental inputs. So the reason why our ancestors had such straight teeth is because they had enormous mouths. They had different facial shapes that we have now. And the only way you can get a mouth that big is if you hold your tongue and your mouth with proper oral posture. Proper oral posture is you only open your mouth when it's time to eat. And the rest of the time, unless you're talking, your mouth is shut and the tongue is at the roof of your mouth. That's the only way to get that beautiful facial shape so by looking at that you can make a reasonable deduction that our ancestors very likely were sleeping with their mouths shut Mm -hmm. and then you can look at the causes of snoring being overweight is a big cause of that having problems in your nasal cavities is a cause of that having inflamed tissues is a cause of that I'm not going to say there was never a snoring cave person, but I will say <laughs> but
1: you'll never I'll never be able to disprove that theory. The so <laughs>
2: percentages are, would be significantly less, probably into the one to two percent maximum compared to the 50 percent that modern humans are suffering from snoring.
1: Okay. So this is, this is what leads me to my next question. So, you know, we've realized that most of us are breathing through our mouths. And as you'll see in the book, when you guys read it, that, you know, we're also taking these deep, these not deep breaths, these shallow breaths throughout our day. We're often holding our breath. If I, if I read that correctly, and therefore we're breathing through our mouth, we're not breathing through our nose and we're doing damage to ourselves. And we could be living healthier lives. Correct. If we were breathing through our noses, so, you know, you discuss in the book, this amazing journey you went on with, um, a researcher to, to test mouth breathing and nasal breathing. And it was, it was very, um, it was an amazing description. And one of the things is that you had, um, through your, your nose breathing, tell us about the improvements that you made.
2: So I Started researching really right at the beginning down at Stanford, which is very close to my house here in in San Francisco, about half an hour, 40 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to find like the leader in the field, like the top of the top. So the chief of rhinology research, I went straight to him and it's hard to get an interview with him. He's like, what do you want? I'm busy, you know, doing surgery, doing research, but Mm -hmm. I finally convinced him suckered him into going and getting lunch. And I I hooked him with some of these ideas and we actually became pretty good friends. And he knew all the damage caused by mouth breathing. He sees it every day. Right. And, and this is his community. He said, there's no controversy about this. This is not someone's hypothesis or theory. This is just a fact but when I asked him, I said, well, how quickly does that damage come on? Mm-hmm. When you breathe through your mouth too often, you can cause more nasal congestion. You actually can influence the shape of your face. You can influence how you look. You can influence the size of your mouth. You can influence how susceptible you will be to getting respiratory diseases mm. and chronic problems. So this goes hypertension on, on and on. Not a lot of controversy. We know that no one knew how quickly it it turned right. on. So that's what we did. We set up an experiment. The maximum amount of time he would allow me to be a forced mouth breather was ten days. Any more than that, he thought it might seriously injure my health. Wow. We, we learned out uh, that uh, you know within a couple of days <laughs> it was uh, serious problems coming on. So it, to me, this. What I did with this experiment, 10 days mouth breathing, 10 days nasal breathing, we compared data sets along the way, Mm -hmm. all very scientific. Um, It wasn't what what we discovered with the two people in the study. That was the maximum that we were allowed to do as well. It was that science had already known this for so long, and yet you still have the majority of people breathing through their mouths, especially breathing through their mouths at night. About 60% of us breathe through our mouth at night, we're told it's perfectly normal. It is not normal. It is destroying your sleep, your body. And it's fascinating looking at the connections between snoring and even forms of mild to moderate sleep apnea and just the pathway through which you breathe and what an enormous difference that makes to those two things.
1: So why is no one talking about this? You know, I mean, that's you the, are.
2: <laughs> that's the eternal question. And I uh, have the eternal answer, which is, I don't know. Uh, it's it's fascinating to see that Christian Guimano at Stanford was a researcher at Stanford, the godfather of sleep medicine. For 50 years, he was publishing studies on this. No one's refuting it. No one was listening either. <laughs> you know, their studies published in these weird academic journals, everyone in the field understands it, but it just didn't get it out to the public. And, uh, I don't know why, uh, the science is there. The The only thing I can think is, you know, there's not a lot of money to be made in, yeah, in breathing. It's, it's free. You can't charge people for it. Uh, it's available to everyone all the time. Uh, that's a very cynical way of looking at it, but, um, I don't, I just don't know.
1: Yeah, I had um, a pediatrician on the show last week, uh, Mark Vonnegut, Kurt Vonnegut's mm-hmm. son, who wrote a beautiful book about um, the heart of caring. And he did discuss sort of the medical industry and how there are lots of techniques that we can be teaching people to do that doctors aren't necessarily you know, incentivized to prescribe because they aren't medicine. Um, which is a cynical way of looking at it, but it might be an explanation. We don't know if it's a whole one, right? But in it, for why this isn't wider known. So thank you for this work. It's amazing to let people know um, the health oh, benefits of something so simple.
2: One one thing I do want to mention, I come from a, in my family are doctors. So I mm-hmm. talk about this stuff all the time. My father-in-law is a pulmonologist. My brother-in-law is an ER doctor. So this this is like top of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so- in discussing this they say it's not like we don't want to help patients with this stuff like we don't have time to sit yeah. down and tell someone how to breathe it's like i see 15 patients an hour yeah. <laughs> you know when they're coming in and coming out i've got about 5 minutes with each pr- i'm not going to sit here and be like okay you're going to inhale for 4 and then hold for 7 and then yeah. we're going to do this there's that's not how the system is set up and so when people want care in this regard, they have to seek it out themselves, which is why the whole wearable market is just exploding because we have, we've been forced to become our own doctors to find out what's the right food we should be eating. How much should we be sleeping? How should we be breathing? How much we should, should we exercise because of the system? Not because of the doctors.
1: Yeah, no, it's the, it's We're the business of medicine. Yeah. yeah, for so, sure.
2: So, but, but I, I'm not throwing doctors or Western medicine under the bus at all. If you have an acute problem, if you get in a car accident, if you have, if you fall from a ladder, don't resort to breath work, don't go <laughs> online to web go to a fricking doctor and they're going to fix you up. It's just the lower grade, long-term chronic maladies. We're terrible at fixing. And you see yeah. that all over society.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so this brings me to my next sort of more exciting. I think I get more excited about this one, but, you know, I had a client that um, was, was on the phone with me this morning, telling me that she wanted to get a sauna because she thought she could lose weight if she sweat, sweated in her sauna. And I let her know after reading your book, but also noticed from my own sort of health journey that we actually lose weight through our breath. And it's a misnomer that we, you know, detox through our sweat that we actually detoxify through our breath and that we um, really sweat is just a mechanism for keeping our bodies cool. And that's also something that a lot of people don't know. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about how that works
2: for every 10 pounds of weight, you'll be losing eight and a half pounds comes out through your lungs, through your breath. So you will lose water weight in a sauna for sure. You know, most of us lose about two pounds every single night when you go to bed, mm-hmm. take your weight before and after, like, where the hell did that weight go? Where yeah. did it go? It came out in your breath. That's where it went. So to, to be clear, saunas work. You you can lose a lot of water weight.
1: As long um, as you just don't drink that, any more water. That's, that's
2: right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't, don't drink a lot of water. You'll, you'll skinny up real, real quick. Be terrible for your body. Um. <laughs> But, but uh, I'm a big fan of saunas, by the way, I'm a big fan of red light therapy. I'm a big yeah. fan of infrared saunas. I think they're wonderful tools, but if you want to lose weight in a sustainable fashion, first of all, figure out the right diet for you, figure out your food, cut out process crap. Okay. Everyone's going to tell you that that's number one. And the second thing is breathing and modulating your breathing Can help Uh, you can affect your metabolism that way through your breathing. It's not going to be half as effective as fixing your diet, right? And switching your diet. But you burn calories, you burn fat with oxygen. You can't burn fat without oxygen. And the most efficient way of getting oxygen to all of your cells is to breathe in a fluid, slow manner. Breathing normally less than you consider is normal. When you breathe that way, you actually get more oxygen to more cells. It's so counterintuitive, but that's how it works.
1: Yeah, and so with using that line of reasoning that um, breathing less um, gets more oxygen to more cells, does breathing more age us?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that is a loaded question i'm going to answer it in a couple different ways (laughs) breathing more on occasion is extremely therapeutic and i don't care if you're doing wim hof method kundalini pranayama sudarshan kriya they're all doing the same thing this is interval training with breathing you breathe a ton very fast and then you either hold your breath you breathe very slowly and you do this back and forth. And it's incredibly effective. If you look at the studies done for anxiety, even asthma, even for some people with autoimmune diseases, it's incredibly powerful. But most of the time you want to be breathing very slowly and you want to be breathing bigger, deeper breaths, but fewer of them. Why would you want to be overworking your body all day long to get air? And we breathe 20,000, 25,000 times a day. So you want to be breathing more efficiently. And by breathing more efficiently, your body will come in harmony. You can reduce inflammation. You can affect Mm -hmm. the different brain regions and how they interact with one another. You can, so that affects how you think, how you're able to handle stress. I mean, I could go on and on. And this is the number one way of getting control of, of stress and anxiety. This is the most powerful thing is to take care of your breathing for those acute moments of panic and stress.
1: And what's interesting too, is when we take deep breaths and I, am not sure if I read this in your book or somewhere else where we might have receptors at the very bottom, sort of our, like of our rib cage or our lungs, that if breath gets all the way there, it's actually calming for us. So that breathing, belly, breath, all the way, breathing, all the way into our bellies does have beyond everything you're saying, a calming effect, you know, physiologically to our body, it just turns, tells our body to relax.
2: That's exactly what happens. So the phrenic nerve from the brainstem, you know, extending right down to the diaphragm. This is the route that the body stays in control of the brain and the brain stays in control of the body and back and forth. This is the super highway of information also should be noted that below the diaphragm are our two largest lymph nodes. And if you look at, it's fascinating to look at an x-ray of someone breathing because you watch the diaphragm just pressing into your organs and your intestines and squeezing your organs. You're like, oh, that looks awful. (laughs) That, That is how your organs purge toxins. That's how they purge lymph fluid So if you aren't breathing in these deep fluid breaths, not only are you sending the wrong signals to your brain through the phrenic nerve there, but you're denying your organs the ability to leach out the bad stuff and get more good stuff in there. Uh, Again, this is not theoretical. This is basic physiology of how our bodies function and Look at a lion sleeping and look at where they're breathing. They're not breathing into the chest. They're breathing so deep into their stomachs. And when you see that movement, that's that diaphragm descending and massaging those organs and coming back up.
1: Yeah. I have a very old lab who likes to sleep right next to me. So I do know that he takes baby breaths, you know, like the belly breaths, his belly is expanding and contracting all of the time, which is lovely as he's often asleep and very relaxed.
2: Well, I've put my dog asleep. Um, you know, I thought she'd be real pumped to be in here uh, during a podcast, but she's sleeping right below me and, and breathing in that that same, that same rhythm. Way. So- yeah. Just follow that. They know we have a lot doing. to learn
1: from our animals and our yeah. babies. Yeah. Well, we're going to head to a break when we're back. We're going to continue with James Nestor. We're going to talk about COVID and our impact on breathing as well as some other fun key topics from his book. So hang on, everyone. We'll be right back.
3: Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow! contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about our individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. Or check out our coaching business at Habits, the letter 4, happiness.com.
1: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now, back to our program, and here again is Lady Fuller.
1: And we're back. Thanks, everyone, for hanging in there. We're here with James Nestor, author of Breath to talk about the habit of breath and how it can make us healthier and happier. So one of the things, James, that I was thinking about when I was reading your book is you know, face masks. Have face masks made us breathe worse or better as far as the mouth to nose breathing?
2: I think one of the biggest blind spots in this campaign to get people to wear face masks was we didn't tell people how to breathe while they're wearing these masks. We told them to wear these masks because they actually do do a good job. Of, mm-hmm. They do a decent job of containing the spread of this virus. Okay. Not a perfect job. If they did, then we wouldn't have all these huge outbreaks of COVID all over the place. But, but they do help. They, they offer some degree of protection. And I've read numerous st- studies that have shown that. The problem is all of these people, these billions of people who started wearing face masks, weren't told that you cannot breathe through your mouth in a Mm. face mask. You can't do this, which is why dentists and surgeons and doctors have been wearing face masks for a hundred years. Okay. Mm. (laughs) They know how to breathe in these face masks. And what has happened is people have thought they were protected while wearing a face mask. So they start breathing through their mouth and they recycle some of that CO2. It changes the pH in their mouths, makes it a breeding ground for bacteria. And what do you have? Now we have an epidemic of periodontal disease because people have been wearing face masks for so long and breathing through their mouth. Next time you're in line, if you're in an airport, if you're walking around, if you're in a supermarket and you see people wearing masks, notice what's happening below their noses. You will see the mask moving in and out and in and out, showing that they are breathing through their mouth. Maybe you can tell them that that's a really bad idea, or you can just <laughs> silently judge them like I do. But this is
1: a judgment-free zone, in, but any, yes.
2: any Anyone listening to this, please, if you're going to wear a face mask, and that's just the new reality here of being a human in 2022, you should be breathing through your nose.
1: Yeah. Which leads me to my next question. So, you know, if, if people listening, you know, realize that they've probably lived most of their life breathing, you know, through their mouth and want to change that and do, you know, lean into some, some other breath work. Let's just start with breathing through your nose. So, If collectively we as humans all read your book and then started breathing through our noses primarily, what would happen?
2: If only we had another Earth and we had a population (laughs) of people there, and we could have them all nasal breathing and this is a magic wand question. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you what I think would happen based on hundred years of science in this subject especially in the last 30 years things have really cooked up uh, a, a bit and heated up in the breathing world i i think what would happen is you would see people become a lot less anxious you would see panic attacks go down perhaps precipitously you'd see much smaller rates of asthma You would see perhaps a decrease in the rates of hypertension. You would definitely see healthier facial growth. You would see less crooked teeth. You'd also see a reduction in snoring and some forms of milder sleep apnea. I'm not saying these improvements would be 100% curing people with each of these problems there would be an improvement, either a very small improvement for some people or a transformational improvement for others. But that's the wonderful thing about breathing well, just like it's the wonderful thing about eating better, or exercising better. You or are sleeping, on- right? Or sleeping better. There are only benefits from this. Mm. It's only a net gain. So is it going to change your life? Maybe probably not. Are you going to benefit from it? Yes, you will. Period. So yeah. I, I think that this is why we've been doing work with the UN. We've been doing work with, with schools in uh, different countries that don't have access to healthcare because breathing is free because these simple habits really do work and everyone everywhere can really benefit from this. And so I, that's why I think this message. Is really important, and you can really get into it. Become a pulmonat, just focus on your breathing all day long. <laughs> you don't have to wear no, you know, yoga pants to do this. You don't have to worship, uh, you know, Buddha to breathe well. <laughs> this is a biological function that mm. you can just control a little more and celebrate the benefits of doing that.
1: Yeah, amazing. And so we should take out like billboards all over the US and 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 try. Just breathe, just breathe. You but, know, yeah, through your yeah. nose.
2: <laughs> the, the problem with preaching this stuff, and I really try not, I'm not a breathing therapist. I'm not the guy up on stage telling people how to breathe and saying, This is gonna change your life. I'm mm-hmm. a science journalist, I'm a reporter, I'm a filter for this. Mm-hmm. Is everyone, it's so cool to always be a contrarian about everything. So I think if you put up billboards trying to help people out, people say, Oh, what is this communist bullshit? <laughs> Sorry. Maybe. Yeah. Beep, beep that out. Uh, you know, or what is this right wing stuff? What is this left wing stuff? I think that, you know, I write books for people who want to help themselves. I'm not going to cram this down anyone's throat. If you don't want to breathe better right on, uh, you are free to do whatever you want. If you want to learn more about how your body works if you want something that's free, that's scientifically proven to have a pronounced, a measurable effect across mm-hmm. the board, then I'm here to tell you what I found in that world. I'm here to tell you the stories that I learned along this journey.
1: Yeah, and it's a beautiful book. And so, speaking to our listeners who may be thinking, "Okay, well, you know, I'd like to start breathing through my nose more," and you know, how how does one? person transition to a habit of breathing more through their nose, do, do they just close their mouth? Do they do they tape their mouth shut? What do you recommend?
0: Uh,
2: I, I wish I could offer a blanket prescription. I can't. And the reason is is because everybody breathes differently mm-hmm. and everyone has a slightly different problem. Some people need to go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor mm-hmm. because they have structural issues in their nose. They have polyps. They have a severely deviated septum. They have chronic inflammation. So for some people, those sort of deeper interventions are life-changing. For the majority of us, what we can do is train ourselves to breathe through our noses more often and our noses will acclimate. They will start to open because our noses are covered with this tissue that can actually open up and expand. I saw that happen with me big time. Um, I talked with Dozens and dozens of people who measured their progress through this as well, including the breeding therapists at Stanford had the same experience. So it's just like working out a muscle, right? The the more you work out a muscle, the more developed it's going to get, the more flexible you'll become. Our nose is an essential organ that is adaptable depending on what inputs we give to it. And so the first rule is just to try to breathe through your nose more often. Mm-hmm. Wear a little piece of tape um, that has a really easy adhesive. Wear it when you're answering emails for half an hour. Do it for 20 minutes a day, and then do it for 30 minutes a day, and then do it for an hour in a, a day, and slowly it will become a habit.
1: Yeah, it's so great. And so, if somebody wanted also to start a habit of breath work, you know, I do. I'm a big preacher of the morning routine. I think everyone could have one, Um, it it varies per person, of course, because we're all different, need some different things in our mornings. But a lot of people come to me and I often prescribe a morning routine and sometimes there's breath work in it, sometimes there's not. But if someone wanted to just start to do some simple breath work to um, help with maybe some anxiety they have feeling, what would you recommend?
2: I'm a big fan of this. I understand that it's not for everyone. People, a lot of Mm -hmm. people just like to get up, grab their coffee, go to work. That's totally fine. There's no, no judgment there, but while you're in your car, uh, while you're on the train, while you're walking to work, you can just breathe differently and you can set your body up for a more productive day. And so one breathwork pattern that I really like, um, that is uh, been really substantially studied is a form of Sudarshan Kriya. And Mm -hmm. what this is, is breathing into a count of four holding for four exhaling for six, holding for two. So inhale four, hold for four, exhale to six, hold for two. Do not overextend yourself when you're doing this. It should be almost imperceptible, right? You shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to see it across someone going. <sighs> 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 this, this is not the breath work for that. If you want to do that, check out Kundalini. That's yeah, the breath yeah Vader breath, doing? yeah. Yeah, but, but that's a wonderful Breathing pattern, breathing technique that I use before going to bed. Try four, seven, eight breathing, inhale to four, hold for seven, exhale for eight. If that feels a little too long, cut it down a little bit. No one's judging you. But you'll notice that a lot of these breathing patterns all share the same principle. You're inhaling for a very short amount of time. You're either holding your breath and exhaling for a very long amount of time. Because when you do that, you send your body signals that you are safe, you are comfortable, and you should relax. And that's what your body does.
1: Yeah. And, and emphasis here that the exhale is longer than the inhale. And that is the calming for your breath. Is that correct?
2: The exhale or the breath holding. So you can look breath at breath holding. B- breath holding is It also has that same parasympathetic response.
1: Yeah. Which is to calm your nervous system, right? It's mm-hmm. the opposite of fight or flight. So I want you to talk to us about... Um, the opposite of oxygen, or no, the opposite, the other element um, of what we breathe out, right? Which is CO2. So tell us about the importance of that in our lives and for our health, because, you know, in, at least here in Colorado, everyone's, you know, we've got carbon monoxide alarms. Every We think of it as this, you know, secret poison gas, but in your book, you talk about how there's major benefits to us.
2: Well, carbon monoxide is very problematic. So, Everyone should definitely have a carbon monoxide <laughs> alarm. That is, that's bad stuff. Yeah, the, the, I know. Reason, the reason is, is your body accepts it in the same way it would accept carbon dioxide. And so it, it actually deprives you of oxygen, carbon monoxide. So bad stuff, but carbon dioxide, dioxide okay. has gotten a really bad rap because all we hear about is there's too much CO2 in the atmosphere, which is true. How do we know this is true? We can measure it. (laughs) And now we're Mm -hmm. seeing the effects of having too much CO2 in the atmosphere. Okay, this is basic science. But a lot of us have assumed that having too much CO2 in the atmosphere, which is bad, is also bad for our bodies. So we've associated CO2. It's called a toxic gas in our bodies. And in some yoga classes, you hear people say, exhale, get all that CO2 out of your body. (laughs)
1: not carbon monoxide people carbon dioxide dioxide ahead. that
2: is a and and that's a problem because co2 is as essential to your bodies as oxygen i know this seems impossible but oxygen can only do its thing in the presence of co2 which is why if you inhaled only oxygen it can be toxic to your body because it depletes you of too much CO2.
1: So, what about those oxygen bars people had used to have? So,
2: so, just to be clear, if you have emphysema, if you're at altitude, if you have COVID, oxygen is absolutely essential. Why? Because you have low blood sats in your body. So, they're supplementing you with extra oxygen. Very important thing. If you are a healthy person and your blood saturation is anywhere from 95 on up, especially if it's 98, 99, breathing oxygen will do nothing for you. So the idea is that there are oxygen bars at sea level and you go in there and I'm going to super oxygenate my body up right now. You're already at 98, 99%. That 1% if you can even get it, and you probably can't, will do nothing. What you want is a balance of CO2 and oxygen. I think this is one of the reasons why oxygen bars, at least in, in San Francisco here, they used to be pretty big. They used to be all over the place.
1: Yeah, they, they, there's not a thing anymore.
2: They're gone. They're gone. And what's going to replace them? CO2 bars.
1: No Mark way.
2: Bars. Mark. I'm not talking about huffing straight CO2, (laughs) but CO2 therapy is being, it has been, it was studied at Yale, at Harvard, at university of Wisconsin, 70, 80 years ago. And the NIH is now funding new studies. And guess what? CO2 therapy. Why? Because it works better than anything else for some problems.
1: Wow. And that's also free. And also, it's like microdosing. I have this, this vision of microdosing <laughs> CO2. It's going to become a thing.
2: They're working on it. There's yeah, A you- lot, of, lot of companies have reached out to me. I said, no, I do not partake in any any corporate stuff. I am an objective journalist, but uh, it's ramping up right now. Mark, mark my words, in a couple of years, uh, it will be out there. And the good news is, it actually, if it's done responsibly, listen, everybody do not go out and huff CO2 on your <laughs> own. unless you want to die. And that's a really good way. If this is done under very careful monitoring, mm-hmm. it works incredibly well. There's a chapter in the book uh, yes. where I went out to talk to a uh, neuropsychologist who got an NIH grant to, to study this. And he said, my God, this is a miracle worker.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you also had discussed in the book that it has some hallucinogenic um, qualities too. That you some people that were were doing LSD experiments in the nineteen fifties, for this, if I remember correctly, had moved to the CO two um, when the funding was cut.
2: Yeah, that was for uh, over-breathing uh, using hyperventilation techniques, mm-hmm. which is actually depletes the body of CO2 and it cuts off certain brain regions and the brain understands that it is dying. And so you can have these very visual hallucinatory experiences that it can be very transformative, but a carbon dioxide therapy was used for people with schizophrenia and it worked incredibly well. And until these people were actually begging for it, asking for it, and then miraculously, it was made illegal. And instead, these people were given tranquilizers that do a great job of numbing the pain, but don't do much else. And, and that's the standard of care now because people are having some pretty wild experiences, but they're, they're heartbreaking reading those studies. And these, this isn't top scientific journals, right? This is not yeah. fringy, crazy, carny stuff this is real science and this stuff worked incredibly well. And it's just absolutely bizarre the, the vagaries of scientific discoveries coming into the market and then just getting blown out by by other things that are less effective, but more consistent. It's uh, Luckily, I think we're living in a time where people are really starting to understand what we've been force-fed as far as nutrition information and <laughs> basically everything else, uh, has been largely co-opted by, uh, commercial interest. And, and so now we're coming back down to earth and finding out what, what really works. And we're able to, to help heal ourselves of a bunch of chronic issues by, by looking at that side of science.
1: Yeah. And then, so, so even zooming out a little bit farther, you know, this idea, of, you know, as a person who teaches yoga, you know, and thinks about breathing often, um, you know, it's always struck me, I got into a conversation with someone um, on a river trip recently about the idea of breath as soul. And you touch on this a little bit in the book, but the idea that, you know, when when we die, the real way that we, we know people know that first thing you do is you check a body for air, right? Are they breathing? And it has always struck me as, you know, a very close relationship. If our soul lives somewhere, it must live in our breath because when our breath leaves our body, you know, something lives our body, if you believe in souls and all of these things, but, you know, is breath, um, you know, widely seen as our own life force. I mean, it definitely was in the ancients, right? So in across, I would say many different ancient texts, um, Breath was seen as life force, as prana.
2: I don't think it's a coincidence that the word for breath is synonymous with the words for spirits across various cultures. If you look at chi, if you look at prana, life, energy, if you look at inspiration, <laughs> break down that word. Mm. That means drawing the breath in. What happens when we expire? We die. Right? Exhalation. So uh, it's this has been part of our human culture since probably before there was writing. You know, it dates back at least 5,000 years. And the ancients knew that there was something that went beyond just the biological function of breathing. That's what I focus on because I write about science, right? Right. But because the other stuff is, is ineffable, it's harder to measure. You know, what does that mean? Well, we don't even know what a spirit is, right? So then yeah. how could we measure what gives someone more of a spirit and less of a spirit? Who knows? But it is interesting when you start looking at the mystical side of breathing and how it was understood and appreciated it just it was the same across all these cultures that did not have contact with one right. another so it just it just makes you wonder
1: yeah i mean it's you know when when we when we die right um you know we draw our first breath or we draw our last breath right and um and our energy leaves our body with our breath to some degree right our our electrical force if you will because which is me- which is measurable yeah,
2: absolutely <laughs> well yeah, you just think about, everyone thinks that you get energy from food and drink, which you do. You do get some energy from that. Most of the energy we get is from air. So that's, and I'll prove it right now. Hold your breath for four minutes and see Well, how much if, I, if I held my breath have, for four right? minutes, I might not um, be here to finish
1: this radio show.
2: <laughs> well, that, that, was, that is my point, my friend. That's, that's, that's exactly what, what I'm saying is... We need this constant supply of this energy. We make energy with air. And so if you think how you're taking that energy in and exhaling that energy, if you think that's not going to make a difference to your mood, to your athletic performance, to your sleep quality, to your anxiety levels, to asthma, you're crazy. It's going to make an incredible difference. And you don't need to think about it mystically. You just need to look at your basic physiology and how life works, how aerobic life works oh, wow. on this planet.
1: Are there any things on earth? Well, I guess um, I was saying that that can hold their breath for longer. You said in your work that this, your entire book came out of your a previous work you were doing on free diving, correct? And that there was someone, I think a woman that held her breath for eight minutes or something. Incredible.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Eight, eight minutes. There's a lot of people. The the world record breath hold is 12 and a half minutes. So I could I could get you to with some breath with about a half an hour of breath training, I get you to hold of your breath for about three minutes, three and a half minutes. It's it's not a physical problem, it's a mental problem. We think we're not able to do it. Our bodies are built to do this. And if you look at a seal, a seal can hold its breath for some seals. Yeah, that was my question. What what minutes. animals can hold Whales their breath can,
1: for longest? Yeah,
2: yeah. 90 minutes. I think, uh, sperm whale is about uh, sperm whale or, or blue whale Cuvier's beaked whale. Uh, I think it's about an hour to, to 90 minutes. They can hold their breath. Um, you know, that's, that's real breath control and they have different myoglobin and, and different structures in their body to allow them to do this. And it's, it's fascinating to, to see how our bodies acclimate to different environments and humans have the same ability, the same reflexes that dolphins and whales and seals use to hold their breath for so long. Humans have these too, and we just need to tap. into
1: Totally amazing. And, you know, I, um, I read your in read and also read, I think, in Dr. Joe Dispenza's book Becoming Supernatural, this the studies on Swami Brahmi. And he was doing um, and he was going having delta waves, right? If I remember correctly, because he was breathing at mm-hmm. such a slow pace, um, that he was almost in a sleep state, correct?
2: He was he was deeply in a state of measurable sleep where he was deep into delta and yet he was able to retain all the conversations and all details around him and went back and recited this. That's supposed to be impossible. Cool. He did it and was measured by a Navy physicist and and a number of other people. So whenever you hear people saying, oh, I don't believe that, that's impossible. Okay. Being skeptical is extremely important, especially in this era of misinformation. But You also have to look at the science and be willing to change your point of view, depending on what the measurements and objective data tells you. And I think that's really the key. That's supposed to be what science is, is, you know, the accumulation of data and looking at data and measuring things and progressing different theories along. But uh, it's becoming less like that. The great thing is about breathing is you don't have to be a physicist or anything, to understand what it does for you. You just have to be a mammal. And right now you can change your breathing and you can feel what it does for you. You can measure it yourself. And so
1: James, how can people find more of you if they want to hire you for speaking, or they want to read your book or, or follow you? What tell us how people can find more of you.
2: Uh, my website at mrmrjamesnester.com. I had to put an MR in there because <laughs>
1: there's MR. another James, James Nester.
2: Nester. I hate <laughs> that are. guy. I hate him. He's some painter in freaking Michigan. So um, I'm waiting <laughs> to get that URL. Not there yet. Um, on that website, uh, I have all of the scientific references to the book. So if you don't believe me, you can argue with the researchers at Harvard and Stanford and <laughs> argue with all the data that they've accumulated. There's also breathing practices um, offered by some leaders in the field, and there are free interviews. Everything is free. Uh, everything there is free because I know the stuff is hard to believe, but you can check it out. Of course, you can get the book uh, wherever you can get it on the website. You can get it at a bookstore. I'm also uh, trying to get better at this thing called social media, so I have a presence on Instagram and at Mr. James Nestor. Where there are no cute puppies, uh, no pictures of the food I'm eating, but but just stuff related to science and, and mostly to breathing. Well, thank
1: you so much for being on today. We've reached the end of the show, but we can, um, everyone check out my Facebook group at Habits for Happiness. We can continue the conversation and remember everyone, the road to happiness is paved with healthy habits. Please listen next week for another riveting conversation on a powerful habit that can change your life. Bye guys. Bye everyone. <laughs>
0: Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.